Are you ready? Ready to release internal pain? To find confidence, clarity, and direction for your future? To live a life of meaning, fulfillment, and contribution? To trust your intuition again, but something's been holding you back? You've come to the right place. Welcome. I'm Ian Hawkins, the host and founder of the Grief Code podcast. Together, let's heal your unresolved or unknown grief by unlocking your grief code. As you tune in to each episode, you will receive insight into your own grief, how to eliminate it and what to do next. Before we start, I have one request. If any new insights or awareness land with you during this episode, please send me an email at info at ianhawkinscoaching.com and let me know what you found. I know the power of this work and I love to hear the impact these conversations have. Okay, let's get into it. Everyone, how are you going? Another week, another chat. This week, a guest who I've been friends with since we were in kindergarten, so first year of school way back at Normanhurst Public, uh, good times. Now, it's awesome to have him here because I know he's been through quite a journey to get to this point to be prepared to have this conversation in a public setting. Um, he's been through some really challenging times, but he's also seen the power of passing on his story to other people and, and how beneficial that can be and, and how much comfort there is for other people when they realize they're not alone through different struggles. So I'm really looking forward to unpacking this. Dean's someone who's working in the corporate world, but he's also making a really positive difference in the corporate world mainly just by showing up and being himself. And one of the things that we're going to talk about today is around his what he's learned about vulnerability. So really excited to have you on, Dean. Thank you so much for chatting with me today. How are you? I'm great, eh, Hawk, and it's great to be here. Sorry, I can't call you, Ian. It's, it's no, always okay. been Hawk, so yeah. always will be. Run with yeah. that, run with that. Um, <laughs> so I reckon for, for you, we want to go right back to the start. We want to start with... The journey from, and it was interesting to see even on the promotion post, some some people from our past from from quite a young age jumping out of the woodwork and, and being surprised to see you there. That was really cool. So take us back to those times and how that really had had some both positive and negative influence on, on the journey that you've been on in adult years. Tell us about some of those things that really impacted you in your life. Yeah. So, um, yeah, so I, I guess at the time it was all quite negative. So but where I've come out the other side, it's very positive. So it probably stems back to there's a lot of my childhood I still don't remember to this day. And whether that's good or bad, it, it is what it is. But the things I remember growing up, the earliest memory was actually my parents getting divorced when I was six years old. Um, I, my memories don't go back any further than that for whatever reason. And the, the memory I have very clearly in my head from that point was the day my father left our family home and fixed my bike as the last thing he did. So it's kind of a an interesting turning point for where my journey really started. Um, back in those days, yes, I'm starting to get a bit older now. Um, coming from a family with divorced parents was very, very unusual. So I was pretty much the only person I knew who kind of came from a divorced family. So... My mum, the trooper she is, brought up three boys, me being the youngest on her own, um, which I'm still very proud of the fact that um, the person she is and I get to spend time every week with her. So um, that's awesome. Um, yes, I am a bit of a mummy's boy from that perspective, but proud of that more than the other way around. So, yeah, um, I've been there, been there for dinner and been on the end of that service from your mum. She is uh, <laughs> an absolute gem. Yeah, yeah. So what um, that started setting from a framing perspective for me was I'm different. And the second part which came along with that was I always saw that as a negative, not a positive. So the journey continued through primary school and Hawke, I had a flashback even this morning on us in year five maths actually, where we, we both challenged each other to complete the whole year's maths within the first term. And I think we did complete the textbook. That just hit me this morning. I'd forgotten really, about that one. But... That's really sad. <laughs> yeah, yeah, yeah. No, so um, 
primary school was kind of the experience for me during primary school was more normalized than what happened when I got to high school. Um, however, the, the framing was already there that I was different. So things like playing sports, um, given there were three boys or doing their own things, I often got lifts with others to sports. So concepts like your father taking you to sport on the weekend didn't exist in my life. So um, he also had his own challenges. And unfortunately, I've experienced some of them, the biological challenges through that. So that was kind of the primary school experience, but it really the, the, the hard journey for me really started more in the high school space where um, there was a lot of mental bullying which went on through the high school years. Um, what's interesting is how few people actually knew about that at, at, at high school. Um, and a lot of that was because I started isolating and hiding because of it. So, um, and part of that was when I got to school, I'd kind of run to the library and just stick myself into studying so that I kind of wasn't putting myself out there to get bullied anymore. Sorry, I am starting to tear up already, mate. Yeah, Sorry no, that's all that. good, mate. Well, I think one of the things that sort of comes to me through that is like having been friends with you all through that time and even in adult years, how little I knew of what you were going through. And to me, it really shines a light on like where we're at now in our life and thinking about different people in our life and, and not, and realizing that there's going to be different times that people who you know and maybe haven't seen for a while, they're going to be going through different things and they may be showing up in a way that's less than perfect and giving them that space and realizing we've got no idea what's going on for them and the compassion that goes with that. Now, I'll, you can't go back and change the past, but like, pardon me, is now like, oh, I feel like, wow, I, I wish I'd been more there for you at lots of different times. But I also know that a lot of us keep those things really close to our chest as a protection thing because we don't want to be talking about those sort of things too. Yeah. And I think the other element I've been told through my own journey that I'm very good at is hiding those feelings to the point that people won't even realise it's going on for me. So what kind of happened during high, high school? I kind of had this mindset going into high school I was different. And then what I kind of created going through high school was an, I'm isolated it's kind of about me. Um, my family, because of the divorce scenario and everything and so much going on, everybody was kind of just trying to survive for themselves. So the general way families provide support or my feeling of general ways of families providing support wasn't there, even though it was, but in very, very different ways to what I kind of probably thought was the average normal. Um, so then I finished high school. Um, in typical fashion, I had no idea what I wanted to do, none at all. So I just found this technology degree that kind of had a mixture of subjects in it and said, thought I'd do that, still don't know what I need to do. So um, give that a go and it's got a bit of everything and I can adjust as, as time goes on. Um, about a year and a half into that is probably one of the, the turning points of my life in some ways is I struggled with computing. Like I... Everyone looks at me now and thinks I know technology pretty well, but I really struggle with the mindset around coding to the point I nearly gave up my degree one night. I was just barely passing, working 16 hours a day and go, what's the point? This is obviously not for me. And the interesting thing which happened at that point in time, I, I kind of had lost it literally. <laughs> and I hit the wall one night at my bedroom at home and my brother happened who was still at home too in the bedroom next door, just walks in and kind of goes, what, what the hell was that? And I said, I just cannot do this degree. It's, um, it's not a lack of effort. It's kind of lack of capability. And all he said to me was, you need to get some sleep firstly, but it's kind of your choice, but I know you can do it. And the power of mindset and support was something I learned at that point because from that point forward, I was kind of straight A's through the rest of my degree. So nothing capability or the effort I put in changed. It was just knowing that somebody believed in you had shifted my mindset to the point I turned the whole thing around. Yeah. Um, awesome. And and it's amazing. We probably take for granted when we when we do it, but but there are different times in our life when we've 
given belief to other people when they didn't when they most needed it what a what a gift from your brother to be able to give you that belief mm. just at a time does does he like is he aware of the significance of that moment uh based on preparing for this he is now i i had a chat with him this week on this topic and he had no idea yeah. <laughs> it was the first time i actually exposed it to him so yeah, he was he was it was quite an emotional moment that's brilliant there's there's a uh there's a good video doing the rounds it's called lollipop moments uh which is specific to the actual story but it's basically saying n there's not enough time where we actually tell people the moment or the time or the comment that had such a positive impact for us. And it's really important for us to share those things because yeah, like you said, what a gift back to him to be able to give him to realize the impact that he's had for your life. So powerful and, um, and a great way of connecting with family members, particularly your brother who's on the other side of the world. Exactly, he's based in Atlanta in the US. So. Um, other good news I got from him this week, they've got their first COVID jabs, so <laughs> which is great for, for the US in general that they're starting to roll out in bulk. Yeah. So, but I guess the other side of the, following on from the isolation theme, I, I did have to put in an extreme amount of work to achieve my degree. So what that kind of meant is, the social life a lot of people go through at uni, I really didn't have a lot of that. Um, I think it was twofold. One, I had to work so hard. But secondly, I built myself to isolate. <laughs> like it was kind of the normal mindset <laughs> for me. So it was like, you need to tackle life on your own. You need to support yourself. You need to buckle in for the journey. Friends, friends are there, but this is your journey to do in isolation. So that was the headspace I was in. Yeah, and you said that kind of played out for other parts of your life and even when you finished and you went into work and how that meant a positive that you ended up travelling the world but a realisation later that, that was you uh, finding more of that isolation. Yeah, so I then finished uni and I got plugged into, well, firstly, I then started IT consulting, which is what you do when you still don't have any idea what you want to do. So, so it was obviously some variety of works and um, second week into that, that, that um, job, I got shipped to Brisbane for six months uh, to put in a new system up there. Um, then came back to Sydney for a week and got shipped to Melbourne for two months. And then I started building up a hot skill at that time, which was, um, which is a kind of a financial supply chain product that was very marketable globally to the point as if you could spell the name of the product, you could kind of command quite a, quite a high salary. So I did that in Sydney for a year and a half and then got an opportunity um, in New Zealand. So I, I went over there for a year. Um, then I came back from that and the US came calling. So um, I, I shipped myself over to the US for a year and a half in Chicago. And, um, and then came back to Sydney for a year and said, no, I want to go back and live in the US. So I went back over there and spent four years. But one thing, of, one thing about that, which is I think the interesting bit of the story, that I've only worked out in the last eight, 18 months, subconsciously I was just constantly running away from myself. And the travel was like set yourself up in new environments and that stuff will just go away. But it's completely illogical <laughs> but that's where my mindset was at. So um, when I was in Chicago the second time, this stuff had been bubbling up since I was a kid. And um, unfortunately I was asking myself why I go on. And um, to the point it was, it was interesting these thoughts because they were so logical in my head around this decision criteria around, do I move through this or do I just give up? Um, to the point my partner at the time realised what was going on and unfortunately but fortunately I was involuntarily admitted to a mental health ward, um, which is probably still the scariest experience in my life because I was also in a country that wasn't my country of origin. Um, but it helped me start to realise there's some deep stuff going on there that I need to unpack. Um, so... 
after that experience, I came back to Sydney and I've been here ever since. It is my home. Um, yeah. Let's, let's go back there because what you said, like it, you described it to me as you were basically forced, forcibly taken to this place because of you, because you couldn't protect yourself from yourself. Do you have, like, do you, do you remember the emotions? Was it, was it a fear? Was it, was it just like almost like a surrender that like, well, I, okay, well, I just got to do this. Like what, what was sort of going through your head when you, when you're going into a place like that in another country? I was scared out of my wits for many reasons. One, I was scared of myself. Secondly, I was scared of the environment I went into um, because it's checking into a place like that involuntary is an experience in itself. So getting your shoelaces pulled out of your shoes and taken away so that you don't (laughs) cause yourself damage while police are standing there watching um, kind of sets you up in a a mindset, this isn't good. I think times have changed a lot with this. I think that process these days I would expect to be a lot better. But really it, it came down to I was I was petrified. And so I wasn't only trying to deal with, yes, I'm safer, but I wasn't even sure I was safer in that environment. Yeah, wow. It must be, well, it must have been almost surreal while you were experiencing it, but also thinking back now it's almost like an, like another life, like, it, it must be a bizarre sort of circumstance. Yeah. It, it, the bizarre thing with it is it's kind of turned out awesome that I went through that. <laughs> and, and it's funny, I was thinking about a, an example to use of this. Like I, I work in quite a high-pressured environments. And one of, one of the things which often happens when we have very large-scale technical issues at work, I'm brought in to drive the resolution of that. And often at the end of those, people come up to me and go, why are you so calm handling this? And I look at them and go, this is actually nothing. <laughs> I've been through places a lot worse than this. Um, and secondly, there's no point stressing about it because all you're doing is slowing yourself down from getting the result you need. Um, so th- that, was the, that was such a positive lesson for me now that I've kind of been able to take all those challenges and harness them into a place where they actually work for me very well. Now, for those who have been in any sort of place know that that's a big jump from being in that place where you're in an institution to then learning the positive lesson. What, what was it actually like experiencing that? And, and how did you navigate? Like, how long were you there for? Like, uh, I was in the ward for about three weeks. Yeah. And then years of psychology and appointments afterwards. Yeah. So how did you navigate that time of your life when, like, were you, were you having these thoughts about yourself and, like, I know because a lot of people, they, they present and they say, I know I should be I should be able to do this myself and I know I should be and it's like no it's actually like everyone needs help at some point so what what sort of conversations were you having with yourself at a time where you're really going through some pretty dark days yeah um really around isolating and trying not to th- actually think about anything yeah, so right. it was it was breaking down life into survival by the second like, I need to wake up. <laughs> I need to have a shower. I need to probably read something for mental mental strength. It was it was really just really focused on very simple activities that are sequenced with no paralyzation going on because that's all I could all I could achieve at that point. <laughs> Uh, sorry for those who are only getting the audio of this, but uh, just getting some comments from another one of our school friends, Lincoln. Mm. Good to see you on here, mate. Hey, <laughs> <laughs> um, yeah, so minute by minute and actually getting yourself through each step one at a time, is that one of those skills that you talked about that set you up for, for down the track when you're 
when you went again navigating more challenges which did come yep absolutely like i'm probably pretty experienced now at breaking down anything into small steps that are manageable to allow you to move forward so um what i find in the in the in the roles more professionally that i've done is if there's big issues which goes on if you put yourself on the wall and just watch what would happen. There's probably a hundred people scrambling around, just freaking out around what to do for probably a good 12 hours before you get to anything real to tangibly work through. I just find I can cut through all that now. It doesn't kind of even go in my sequence. It's like, what's the problem? How do we break it down to manageable chunks that we can kind of get a result out of? Now, some people will say it's very, um, very robotic, but in situations like that, um, with large operational issues technically that can impact thousands of peoples, um, that's kind of the way, the best way that I feel to go about it. Mm, okay. I've just had one of those moments of something landing. So what you're actually discovering through that process, whew, getting tingles, is the natural part of you which is this calm in a crisis. So yep. yes, it's the experience, but the experience is actually bringing out what is just true for you at your heart, like the ability, because yep. not everyone's got that, not everyone's wired that way, even going through those, those experiences, but that ability to stay calm. Um, wow, how, how you're going through all those moments and you're staying calm, do you have sort of moments when you're out the other side where suddenly it's like, you've kind of been keeping everyone else calm while you've been going through it. Do you then get to the end of a day and go like, I'm exhausted or like what sort of, what happens after that? Yeah, um, absolutely. Like think things always, you can only peak for so long in terms of performance. So, so like anyone who knows me pretty well will know nine o'clock's a late night for me to go to bed. <laughs> So I make sure I get sleep. I, I am getting better at drinking water a lot more than I used to just to stay hydrated. Um, you've just got to recover from those events. Um, I, go, I, I go back to my consulting days. I could guarantee after every big engagement, I'd be sick for two weeks because you, you shut yourself down to achieve the objectives you've been pressured into doing that you can only you can only shut yourself down from it from a, to a, to a certain extent until you do get ill if you don't address it. Yeah, so that's that's a really good lead in because one of the things that you said to me and and I mentioned this in and one of the posts I wrote about this chat today this week was how you can't run from your pain, and that's what happens if you try and run from it and run from the stress and run from what's really going on, then it, yeah, it manifests in physical illness or exhaustion or whatever else. But you also said it's a realization that if you try and suppress all of these things that are coming, you can do that and keep doing it and keep doing it. But eventually it will continue to find its way out. And if you don't allow it the space to release, it will bubble and bubble until it explodes. So exactly. The second time you had to then be admitted. Tell us about the lead up to that. Like, were you completely disconnected from where you were heading? Like, did it suddenly happen? Were you deliberately? Oh, I can see this is coming on, but I'm just going to push on and let it go. Away. How did how did how did that all sort of play um, out? Yeah, I I don't think at that point I'd learnt that things bubble in you and will explode if you don't deal with them. So I hadn't learned that lesson really yet. So I was back to kind of pushing everything down and just, she'll be right, mate, for want of a better term. Don't need to deal with anything. It'll sort itself out over time um, to the point it blew up again. It exploded again. And I was, I was admitted back to a hospital in Sydney in 2006, 2005, 2006 range that thanks to another good friend of mine who kind of supported me very, very much through that. So, um, but yeah, so I, I kind of hadn't learnt the lesson at that point because I think 
sometimes even in those large events, <laughs> like my admission in the US, doesn't mean you change your full behaviours off the back of that one event, regardless how large it is. So I, I kind of had to keep on learning lessons to, to adjust my, my true behavior and mode of operation. Um, and I, I guess the other thing I learned through that second phase was I had to start loving myself, like, which I had never done before. Like I've, I felt like my whole life I was trying to support and protect others. And that's probably another thing coming from a divorced family at a young age. You're kind of looking out for everybody because everyone's just trying to struggle to get on with things. Mm. Um, I, I never put myself into the equation. And I guess to a point I still struggle with that a bit, but it's got its good sides and bad sides through that, but I'm better at managing it now. I think we all have at different times. It's it's the journey. It's like continuing to to find more reasons to to love ourselves and that's part of the healing journey i'm curious so if at that point from a young age you're already thinking about that your responsibility is to to be looking after everyone else whether like how did that play out for your relationship with your your brothers and your your mum at like going through the years after that moment and when you were six I think it's played out in many different re- ways for each of us. Like uh, my older brother's probably uh, is um, he likes the social life is probably the best way to describe it. So he travels a lot still and single, but he likes it that way. And um, so that's his way of he became more social because of it. Um, yeah, but I, I don't want to speak too much about them because I don't – I guess I haven't um, no, was, to the, the extent I want to. Um, yeah, so with them less as about the experience for them, but, like, how like how are you showing up for them because of that sort of innate or whether innate or whether created through circumstances need to, to look after them? Yeah. Were, you, were you reaching out for them, like, and checking in on them? Were you Was there certain behaviour when you were young that – or is that something you're not really conscious yep. of? Yeah, I'm probably not as conscious of that, but I, I, at a high level, what I've always done is they need something or somebody needs something from me, I'll just go and do it regardless if they ask for it or not. Um, that's kind of the way it played out. <laughs> so, yeah. Um, is that a pattern that you does – that, does that one that causes you – problems now or is that actually something that is allowing you to to move forward with a with a much more um you're able to focus on yourself but still turn up in the same way of helping people yeah it's all about balance i don't think you i will ever materially change that side of me but at the same time i think i like that side of me as well like so it's not about being extreme one way or the other it's about the balance in the middle is who doesn't want to help other people out? Like it's it's kind of a natural human behaviour for the majority of us. <laughs> and, I, and I love that. And I think you're, you're so right. And I love that you've also highlighted there that to, to do that at the best level, you've actually had to, to have that relationship with yourself and putting yourself first. And I think that's part of the bit that we often get wrong as humans. Like you said, it's a natural need to want to help people but if we're doing that at the expense of our own well-being, then that's where we run into these problems. So you mentioned one of the things that you you pulled out of those pretty intense experiences in your life was how important it was to allow yourself to be vulnerable. So tell me about yeah. what that means to you about vulnerability and and how that's really had such a like a massive shift for you in your life now. Yeah, I actually think it's the most powerful word in the world right now. And I actually think it's the most powerful skill to have in the world right now, both personally and professionally. I I mentioned a minute ago, human beings, the majority of us want to help others out. Being vulnerable allows allows you an opportunity to let people in to help you out when you need it. Um, I've seen this play out in so many ways that I know some of you probably know Brené Brown's work and I said to Hawk the other day that I wish I'd have read her books before I actually lived the experience, but um, 
so be it. Um, yeah. But some of the, I've tested these theories at work, like in some of the, I guess I work in some quite aggressive cultures too. And the number one way I get others on board is by being vulnerable myself. And I've, I've got a kind of another story here that plays into this. And I think it, it powers the point around a number of years ago, I was looking after a company's um, public websites. So in the financial services industry. So if they go down, it's kind of a customers can't transact all that kind of stuff. It's a pretty big deal. Yeah. Well, lo and behold, they went down. <laughs> okay. Um, it was my team who kind of needed to get them back up. My team who partly caused the issue in the first place. Um, after we got everything back up, everyone was kind of looking for blood around somebody to blame because that is also just unfortunately a natural human behaviour in a number of people. Um, where the vulnerability of bit that this comes in, obviously there was quite a large meeting after this. I did my background on what happened and what we're going to do to stop it happen again and walked in the meeting knowing everybody just wanted to rip into me. So it was like a, meant to be an hour-long meeting. Knowing full well that wouldn't achieve anything. Um, I walked into the room and basically said, I am sorry, we stuffed up and here's what we're doing to stop it again. Awesome. That hour-long meeting uh, lasted 15 minutes and the power of being vulnerable was, I kind of admitted we need to improve. But secondly, nobody was able to respond with anything outside of, hang on, how do we support you stopping it happening again? Because you've taken out the whole lever for the emotional baggage, which doesn't achieve anything anyway. Oh, yeah, fantastic. That's so good, Dean. Uh, Brendan Bouchard yeah. talks about that, about uh, the... Like we we think if we if we say we're sorry or we apologize, then we're giving up our power. But actually, it's actually being able to stand in our own power, and it takes away all the fire immediately. Not by making excuses or anything like that, but just saying well, owning it a hundred percent. Most challenging thing, but also as you described there, most powerful. And it just it flies in the face of what most people's reaction is. And probably what a lot of people are taught, particularly in a pretty cutthroat corporate industry. So, yeah. what difference did that make for you going forward? Then, in that environment, did that did that strengthen relationships? Did it did it push people away? What what did it do by you just owning that for you and your team? Yeah, it's actually strengthening and it continues to strengthen. And the the bit about being different, because I do want to circle back to that, is. I see that as very powerful and positive now. I, I believe in certain things, leadership characteristics that I don't see a lot of, but I believe they're fundamental to being a good leader. So I'm kind of using this kind of stuff to kind of change the game in what leadership is. Um, and in my own way, and my own way is by example. So, I mean, I, and that's down to things like for are you okay Last year, I posted a whole article of pieces of my story on our corporate um, social media site, basically. And most people get one or two comments and possibly 20 likes. I got hundreds of responses and go basically along the lines of, holy crap, a leader also goes through this and is willing to share it. Thank you for making it easier for us. Oh, wow. What, what else do I need out of being a leader? Like that's kind of what it's about. <laughs> So you, you're, you're walking your talk, like you are being vulnerable at that level and you're prepared to share it in that environment where, again, not done very often, and yet the positive outpouring you get from people uh, makes it totally worth it, right? Yeah, exactly. And it's kind of something I'm trying to encourage in my team, which is starting to take off too. It's about 70 people globally in a number of different countries. And it's probably been an 18-month journey up to this point because – like a number of them who are willing to be open with me now go, what, you want me to talk about my feelings? It's like, yeah, because my job as a leader is to inspire you to get what I need you to do done. <laughs> um, why wouldn't I want to talk about the feelings? Because that's what brings the motivation. Um, um, and, but but it's, it's tough in the corporate world. 
there is still a lot of barriers to people being who they really want to be. And I, I, I guess what I'm trying to do is make myself part of the change that I believe is fundamentally required for successful business outcomes. <laughs> Fantastic. I talked, I talked, I talk a lot about purpose and often the people that I have in here, they're running their own show, they've got their own business. What I really want to shine a light on at the moment is it doesn't matter where you work, what you do, whether you're volunteering, part of a community and network, showing up like this and having a reason for being and being able to do that because it will improve the environment, but really because it's just how you want to show up, you can bring purpose to any situation. And if you think about what you've talked about is you've gone on this journey to land in this place, like how much satisfaction do you get from just unashamedly showing up like that in your workplace? Love it. But, but I'm, I'm actually putting it into my personal life now as well. So like the way I look at my life is I'm 47 now. I've got to catch up on 46 years because I'm finally living in the last 18 months for the first time ever. And that is awesome to me. Yeah, wow. Oh, man, just let that sit for a minute because often, yeah, people are too busy running around to actually live and they're fearing all of these things that could ha happen to themselves. In the meantime, they're not having that space to live. Mate, that is magic. So what are the sort of things now that you are doing in your life to make sure you are living it to the fullest? Yeah, being open, like talking is the other thing. Like I, the other part of this, as I kind of mentioned before, I kind of spent 45 years not talking to people on anything real or authentic. And I think you, your comment you put on the intro in one of the Facebook posts that you didn't know half this stuff goes on, or went on and we're close friends goes to show <laughs> um, an example of that. And I, I'm kind of passionate about probably more so on the male side of things because I even see it in my 11-year-old son. We don't, we don't biologically and naturally are motivated to talk about our feelings. And it, it, it's, I don't know what it is. There's probably a million reasons for it. Um, I'm, sh I'm sure there's a million scenarios and examples of why, but it's not good. It's toxic. <laughs> um, even, if, even if nobody can help you, just the fact that you voice it, that bubble we talk about that eventually explodes, it just lets it out. Um, and I would also add that talking about your story like you're doing now, and that has that same impact for others listening who are resonating with what you've been through, just hearing someone else then and knowing that they're not alone through their struggles allows them to release some of that as well. So yeah. again, more power to you to, to having the courage to come on here. Now, now courage is something you've had to have large doses of through all of this to, to keep pushing through and um, showing more vulnerability. And one of those things that you talked about is you, you experienced bullying as a child in school. You, you ran away from it. But tell us about how when that did show up in your workplace, how you were able to then say, well, no, actually, I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to stand in my own power here and, and be able to move past that in a different way. Now, you don't have to go into specifics, mm. but more about what that allowed, like how you were able to get through that and go, well, no, I'm, I'm not going to tolerate this anymore, like putting a new, new boundary up around how you wanted to operate. Mm. So I think a, a part of it comes back to vulnerability. So don't get me wrong. I see certain people from my past and it still triggers me and it will always trigger me. But the mindset now is that's okay. But then when this comes up in the environments I work out now, I know how to manage it better. And secondly, I'm willing to put it on the table and call it out. I am not comfortable with you talking to me like that, or I am not comfortable about you operating and talking to one of my team members like that. And 
it's amazing how often people don't realize they're doing it. Yeah. So they, so just making them aware also shifts the mindset of the other party. That's such a great point. I think uh, knowing now what I know, knowing that, that that's something that like I was bullied, but I also was someone who bullied people. And, and at the time you just kind of like it's survival mechanisms. You're not really sure but those patterns do repeat into adulthood. And, and that's a really great point. It's like, again, they, they've been through their own challenges and they've been through other circumstances in their life that that's just been a coping me- mechanisms that, that's worked for them. And you've been able to stand up for that helps them to, to move forward. That's, yeah, that's amazing. So can you think of a specific example like of someone in your life that's actually realized the power of that? from you showing up that way and then thinking, well, I need to do a bit more of this in my life as well? Yeah, I think it naturally happens all the time. Like I did, no, no one example stands out to me because it's kind of become normal operating procedure for me when people act certain ways that I'm just not willing to tolerate it. So um, calling out specific examples is probably a bit hard for me because I feel like it happens every single day in some of the yeah. conversations I have. Yeah. Um, and the, the power my team also get out of me seeing that support I give them comes back 15-fold in terms of the outcomes I get out of them. Yeah. So, again, it's always for the greater good. Exactly. So going through all of these different challenges you've realized that there's a need to be vulnerable you've also said it's important to speak up you also said something really important to me and it's and it's i'd love you to talk about this from a a position of where you've actually had to do this yourself but actually reaching out so could you again be as specific as you can be where maybe there's a specific moment you can think of where you were really battling and because of the previous experiences, you realised actually oh, I can't do this on my own. Yeah. I, I guess the one which does stand out is that just before the second time I got admitted to hospital, I just I, I reached out to another good friend of, of ours um, and said I am really, really struggling. <laughs> um, and that's kind of all I needed to do. So I can't probably give you a long story or an example because he just kicked into gear from that point and kind of I, I was actually thinking about ending things again. I was down near Willamaloo Wharf, Harry's Cafe de Wheels down there, and I, I was speaking to him on the phone and said, I just, I've tried, I've been through this, can't do it, that's it. And he just kept me on the phone and the next thing I know, he's tapping on my shoulder because why he was doing that, he was actually riding his bike down to, to be with me. Wow. And um, that's, sorry, I will get teary at that one because that was a pretty powerful moment. So thanks, Mick. Um, so one of the other things I've learned with people who are kind of going through those kind of why go on scenarios is, and luckily my partner's a journalist too, and has written some stuff on the suicide and things like that is it's a temporary state of mind. So often just being there for a person going through, that's all that's required. And, and then secondly, just don't put pressure on them to do anything because they already feel like a failure. So it's just being there with them. Hmm. I, 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 I think about it like this. I haven't been through that experience. I can't, I can't speak to it specifically, but I think about it from terms of all grief that we go through as humans. Like often we like, we say something, we just to say something and we try, Oh, I have to do this. Do I have to do that? And it's like, no, sometimes you just need to be there for people. You just need to sit in their space, allow them to maybe say nothing, maybe, mm just unload whatever, but to be able to sit there and just hold space for them, um, particularly yeah. emotionally while they go through whatever they're going, it, it's such an underrated part of what we do, yeah. an underrated skill. And I think that takes extreme vulnerability within itself to be able to do that for people because I think too yeah. often we 
hide from the conversations or we want to like like dismiss it or and again that's natural like self-protection mechanism kicking in like you said before around the biology the more we can push ourselves to be vulnerable to to not just speak up but to be there for people unconditionally man that, that mm. saves lives yeah, exactly. And an, another small point, but I actually think it's a big one, and I've tested this in my own life in scenarios as well, is when you're providing that support, never sit opposite the person. Sit next to them. So it's like I play this out with my son in the car. If I kind of want to have a real conversation with him about learning, I'll do it in the car because he's sitting next to me. And people don't respond very well. It sets a a quite a direct energy by sitting opposite each other. So often in those kind of scenarios where somebody's kind of needs support, but they're under high pressure, even the positioning of where you support them from physically is important. Yeah. It's, oof, there's a whole book on that, many books, but like, yeah, like uh, allowing them to then process it in whichever way without feeling like they need to look a certain way or present a certain way. Yeah. Like anyone who's got kids knows that in the car that they'll open up if uh, you know, you can turn the music off long enough and get them to get their head out of their phone for five seconds. Um, and again, it's not like we're walking side by side or yeah, same sort of thing. Yeah. It's a great point. Great point. And so is what you're saying from that is it's being able to show up in a really non is threatening too strong a word. Well, it can come across as overbearing, I think, is probably the best way to describe it. And what, what I mean by that is the person going through the stuff is already feeling like a failure, okay? So anything you ask of them has the, has the potential to make them feel like there's more pressure. Yeah, right. Which is, the worst position you like from my experience that you want to put someone in. Mm. And, so you desperately want to, you desperately want to help, but actually that's like, it's not what is needed at the time. It's just being exactly. there. Exactly. And being there has already sent the message <laughs> that the support that you've got support, like it's, you don't actually have to say anything to add to that. You said before about the, the feeling different thing. So as a leader now and showing up in this new way, which which is really new for maybe not so new, but it's, it's still at that really early stages of a lot of workplaces. How do you use that as a positive to help other people who who are feeling that same level of, well, I'm, I'm different to everyone else here or they're feeling isolated like you experienced? Um, I'm good at recognising it now. So I'll often have one-to-ones on a completely random topic I make up just to create the connection to provide support. Love it. Um, um, and people, it's, it's another skill I learnt over the years where, because I did go through my own experiences, times where I found it very hard to start up a conversation with somebody. Um, and when somebody else is also struggling to start up the conversation, it can be quite awkward silence. The best way I find to, to start those conversations is get the person talking about themselves. Because everyone actually does want to talk about themselves and their experience. 100%. It's kind of the social dynamics and things like that that stop them doing it. So like part of it to me is just creating a framework that one, they don't feel under pressure, but secondly, there's an opportunity to talk about themselves, mm. which I can, then, I can then kick in on the back end of. Very good. That's so good. Safe space for people just to talk about themselves. People may like watching this, if they haven't sort of experienced that, the, the benefit of that may be thinking, well, that, you know, I'm also being taught don't be self-centered and it's like, and it's arrogant and it's self-centered and it's like, no, actually it's just a normal human reaction to want to be able to express whatever is going on for them. And it takes us back to that small child that, that wasn't allowed to, to be heard or wasn't allowed to be seen and, and allowing yourself that space to, 
if someone presents that opportunity to talk about like it's not just lip service like yeah. let it out yep. like so powerful vulnerability again yeah and and to me like it, it's talking about yourself with the intent of a better outcome for for somebody else is not self-centered it might seem like it on the surface but it's not <laughs> so as long as your intent and your kind of reasoning and your logic's in the right place I personally don't think that should be a concern for anyone. No, it it shouldn't. It's it's also just those. And it is old, sometimes. Yeah, yeah, and it's those old patterns. And so, all right. So, if you, given that you have had these pretty monumental moments in your life, and maybe someone's sitting there going, "Well, I, like I, I haven't been through that sort of." process of, of going through something and coming out the side how if you think back to that person you were back then what did that person need and how could they have got it if they weren't even sort of realizing what it is that they needed that's a deep question mate um i think one pe people need time and space to process things I, I think another human behaviour is we always want everything now. And I, um, I know you know some of my thoughts on social media, even though I work in the technology industry. Um, that's created this need for everything now. Some of the most powerful developments you can make it as, as a person need to go deep and in order to go deep, take time. So yes. it's providing your friends, family or whoever you're trying to support or yourself, if that's the case, the time and space. And it's okay if it takes a year or six months. It took me 45 years to work out a lot of the crap I have. <laughs> but that's okay because I, like, I feel the person I've become is awesome. <laughs> I still have my moments, of course, like everyone, but that's okay. The sky's still blue, which is the, the other bit I mentioned to you the other day. Yeah, yeah. Before we go there, I just like, want to like lead into something else that – so a friend of mine was saying how their, um, their grandmother at 90-something was having one of those moments where they, where they were like they'd process something and let it go, and they as a 90-plus-year-old was so excited about the rest of their life because of this realization. And I think what you said there's so powerful because it doesn't matter what age. It doesn't, it's never too, it's never too late. And there's never a moment like when, I, when I've had some younger clients and they go, I feel like I've left my young to my run too late and they're 26. And I'm like, oh man, like, no, <laughs> <laughs> no, you're way, way ahead of most of us. Like what you said really early on, didn't know what you wanted to do when you grew up. Well, there's been many times where I still didn't know. Um, but well, yeah. Once you take that journey and, and make a commitment to it, then yeah, it's uh, changes your life, right? Exactly. Yep. It did changes your friends and family's lives too. Oh yes. Tell me about that. How? Like these are the people who you who care the most about you. So what do they want for you? You to be happy you to feel supported, you to feel connected with them. Yeah. Like pretty simple. That's what it comes down to to me. Yeah. So the more you, the more you can talk about what's going on, allow yourself to be vulnerable, then show up as a better person in those environments that, that has a positive impact on them. Right. Like, especially if you talk about children, they, they far more likely to follow what we do than what we say. Right. Exactly. And I've got a bit of a, a logic flow I work through around vulnerability around this because I, I kind of have always tried to put it into my words for me to apply for the right reasons. And that flow is vulnerability leads on to the deeper connections, which lead on to authentic conversations, which is where you get the true learnings and insights and which achieve better outcomes, whether that's personally or professionally. And so that's how I model everything now. Even though we we go through these spaces of allowing ourselves just to be whatever we will be, it's still important to have those processes 
because when we get a bit lost in all the other stuff going on, we come back to process and it allows us that structure to be able to, to keep moving forward. The word that comes to mind when you talk about all of those points within your processes, it's about building trust. So, so trust within yourself, trust within those relationships and trust brings on more trust. Um, beautiful, mate. That's what well, I'll get you to write. If you're okay, we'll get that process written down. We'll put it in the, in the notes um, sure. for this chat. And um, cause I think there's not think there, there is uh, so much value in that and, and giving someone a structure to at least start to, experiment with this way of doing things um yeah powerful now given you're someone who you, you don't do this professionally but i also know you've got a lot of great advice and great thoughts on how to do this are you happy for people to reach out to you through me if if they uh have any questions well, yeah more than happy to yeah awesome i mean i, I think it's just important to stress i'm not a professional on this Yep. But more than happy to kind of share my journeys on learnings. Yeah, real life, real life experiences are just as powerful. And I think anyone in a professional environment working in that space has been through their own situations that has led them into doing that work anyway. So the the, the benefit of you going through, yeah, you've you've walked it like you. It's it's so powerful. So you mentioned blue sky and that was the, the really the theme of that graphic that we put out on Wednesday when we were talking about this chat. Tell me about what that means to you and, and how that's really helped you at different times. Yeah. I, I guess it's my mantra of life. Um, my other brother who's six years older than me, when I was going through probably a, another bit of a blip five years ago or something, he he said to me one day, we were just talking, he goes, don't worry, the sky's still blue. And when I was going through these blips for the next year, he kind of kept on just saying, don't worry, the sky's still blue. And it's like, what are you talking about? I never fully understood it. It took me about two years to get the concept that I kind of now live by. And what it's about is the sky is always blue. You go through positive and negative scenarios in your life, but everything always equalizes back. So I use the sky is blue mantra for myself, especially during those bad times to know you will, you will equalize back out of this. Might take a bit of time, but that's okay. And it's just my way of kind of setting myself a, a goal that I know that time's gonna pass. Yeah, this too shall pass. Great. It's a great thing to remember because when we're going through the storm, it doesn't feel like. You, you talked before about that there's, it's a temporary feeling, but when we get stuck in those places of, of not being able to identify that this is temporary, that's when we really can sink lower, right? Because we exactly. We out but remembering that it will pass and that sky uh the other analogy i've heard is um the sun the sun still shines even if the dark exactly. clouds come in the sun is still shining and i think from the theme of today for you is to if you can't see that blue sky to reach out to exactly. to speak to someone to to find a space where someone can just be there for you to hear what's going on and um, yeah, the, the power of that vulnerability. Yeah. And the power of asking someone if they are, are you okay? Like I'm so for that program. It's not funny. And the, the only thing I kind of always push back to people on that is, are you okay is every day. It's good to raise awareness on one day, but you can, you can actually change someone's life by asking that question. Yeah, 100%. And to what we talked about before, this comment that's just come in from someone watching, um, sorry, sorry, can't see your identity, but um, yeah, it's resonated with them. And and I think that that key part is, like we said, that's the healing part of the journey is if you share your story and that can help someone else, it's amazing. And then uh, yeah, another uh, friend of ours chiming in too. Good to see you there, Vinny. Uh, very good. Um, 
is there anything else you wanted to share with the audience today, Dean, before we wrap it up? Um, no, I think that's the, like, I, I think it's all out there and it's, it's, it's kind of, thanks everyone for listening because as corny as it may sound, if this has helped one person out in one kind of way, it's been worth it. Like it's, as I said before, I'm not big on social media for many reasons. So me stepping out like this was kind of not a straightforward decision, shall we say, but um, if it helped somebody, awesome. And thanks everyone for listening, I guess. Thank, thank you, for Dean, for speaking so openly. I, I may have been planting some of those seeds for a while, this John, because I, I knew the power of you coming on here for, uh, for other people's benefit. Mate, it's taken so much courage at so many times on your journey. Um, I'm so glad that you are still here, part of my life. And um, now that I am making sure that I'm reaching out to you from time to time, but also in a place where I know that you've got so many of these skills yourself to navigate it and passing those on to other people. So powerful, mm -hmm. mate. Um, thank you for sharing. And I guess the last thing, Hawk, I did want to say, it's an opportunity to publicly thank you for your support over the years. I know people tend to tone it down, but you have been there through some of those really crap times. So thanks to you. I appreciate that. I really do. Um, thanks, Giz. I appreciate that. Um, well done, buddy. Thanks so much. We'll wrap it up there. And um, thanks, everyone, who, who uh, tuned in. I hope you enjoyed this episode of the Grief Code podcast. Thank you so much for listening. Please share it with a friend or family member that you know would benefit from hearing it too. If you are truly ready to heal your unresolved or unknown grief, let's chat. Email me at info at ianhawkinscoaching.com. You can also stay connected with me by joining the Grief Code community at ianhawkinscoaching.com forward slash the grief code. And remember, so that I can help even more people to heal, please subscribe and leave a review on your favorite podcast platform.